From ThatShelf.com, this is Black Hole Films. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. What's a black hole film, you ask? Well, you know those films you always meant to get around to watching, but you never did for whatever reason? Well, that's what they are. And this podcast is all about embracing them and checking those films off our lists and talking about them and whatever else happens to come up. I'm Canadian filmmaker Jeremy Lalonde, and I will be your host. You can follow me on Twitter at LalondeJeremy, or check out my website, JeremyLalonde.com, for more information on me and my projects. If you like the show, please subscribe to it, rate, review it, and leave a comment on whatever platform it is you're listening. It really does make a difference in helping to get more ears tuning in. And if you like this show, check out the others on the ThatShelf.com family of podcasts. And without further delay, let's get into this week's film. This is episode 123, and today I'm joined by Monica Heisey. Monica is a writer who, if you've watched any Canadian comedy in the last few years, chances are you've listened to her words. She's written on Baroness Von Sketch, Schitt's Creek, The Beaverton, Cavendish, Working Moms, the list goes on. And we're going to sit down to watch a film together. So we're sitting down to watch Amelie. I'm Jeremy. I've seen this movie a lot. <laughs> I'm Monica. I've never seen it before. Nice. Yeah, never ever. But you know of it? Yes. I. It was one of those movies that was so around when I was in like first year university. When well, we must be was... the same age. Yeah. Yeah, very <laughs> yeah. close. Um, That's when I saw it. Yeah, really? Yeah, it was my first year of film school. And I won't get into two, I'll talk more about it after, so I'm spoiling, but it's like, I went back, it was one of those movies, I was also at that age where you could just go to a movie every night if you wanted to. Right. Because your responsibilities were fuck all. Yeah. Um, but I went to this movie at least eight times in the theaters. In the the okay. Cause, and I would take people, because it's like, I'd, be, I'd find out, that, oh, you haven't seen it yet? There's a screening there this night, let's go. And I, I would drive people like an hour to go see this movie. Holy shit. Because I loved it so much. Okay. I I was Not more... Not to set the expectation too high. I was more like owned a ukulele kind of thing. So people assumed I had seen it based on like my bangs and general like little self-styled quirky bullshit demeanor. Like I think Amelie is responsible for probably a lot of the like little ticks that I had in first year university when I was kind of defining myself as like a very insufferable artsy girl. Um, that whole like whimsy period. Yeah. That, like pre Zoe Deschanel. Yep. Before it kind of reached peak whimsy and we had to go in a different direction as a culture. Yeah. Um, That's I fair. feel like I probably will recognize some of that some of those ticks from this movie. Um, but I I had never actually seen it. I was really big in, in university on just pretending I had seen the movies that everyone was talking Hilarious. about. Hilarious. And I think it's interesting because I haven't rewatched this in a really long time. So I'm curious to see how I feel about it now. Mm. And if I feel that it's too cutesy or too this and that. I remember, again, I don't want to get into too far because you, you seem to know enough little bits about it that we don't need to. <laughs> uh, but So what made you not, were, did you, were you not watching a lot of movies at that time? I was, we had just gotten, um, like a like DC plus plus on campus, like a file sharing what is service. That? I don't know what DC plus plus is. It's like a. Where'd you go to school? Queens University. Okay. Um, it was like a like a online file sharing. I don't know if that's how it works. It was some kind of peer to peer. I'm just using words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some kind of file sharing mean. thing, and you could download. So I that's when I got into like The Office. Like I was watching a lot of full seasons of TV shows 
more than I would say I was watching movies. Um, that was like when binge watching kind of started. That was just, and that was just starting up because I remember we didn't quite. Did we have that kind of stuff? We didn't have that. I never lived on campus, um, but I know other people were taking advantage of stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But it must have taken forever to download. Yeah, shows. you'd like start downloading a season, and then you'd let that kind of happen on the back of your computer while you were out, out all day. Yeah, and if. Yeah, we're now, if, like, an episode didn't download in two minutes, we'd be furious. Yeah. Like, what the fuck is taking so yeah, long? Yeah, we've been ruined. Yeah, yeah. Where before you would spend an entire day and be like, oh, my God, it only took a day to get <laughs> this episode. Yeah. Uh, I was going to, usually I ask what you know about her, but you seem to know I a know, fair amount. I know that she's, like, a quirky French girl. It's not Juliette Binoche. Is no. it? No. It's, no, it's Audrey Tateau. That's Tattoo? right. Tattoo? No, no, I might yeah. be mispronouncing her last and name. That's, and then it's just very, like, colorful. Yeah. Colorful and, like, a bit of magical realism, maybe. Oh, 100%. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't know. I assume it's a love story. Um, but I don't really know anything about it. These are Plot-wise. all fair things <laughs> to go in assuming based on probably what you know and have seen of it. Yeah. Have you seen anything else by the, the director? He did a movie called Delicatessen. I'm and, not, um, I'm not very well versed in okay. film, no, no, to no, be no, honest. I'm just curious. And uh, he did another movie with her after. Uh, but okay. Well, I think we're just in the perfect spot where we should just shut the fuck up and watch Let's it. Let's do it. All right. All right. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. So we just finished. Yes. And? I can see, now that you said it was 2001 that it came out, it was less university and more that that was like the dominant mode of being at my arts high school. Okay. That I went to from 2002 to 2006. Okay. That was like all over it. It was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was really charming, but it was really charming also. Um, when, I don't know anything about film, but when does Wes Anderson fit into this? Oh, well, he's around the same time. Same thing? So yeah. So it was just, like, just what was happening. Well, I want to say that, Wet, well, I mean, his, he's been making movies at least since then. I'm going to look at it quick, but I think around this time, he's making like Royal Tenenbaums, I right. think. Right, okay. So this was sort of the vibe. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, but I'm just, I'm just curious now too. Yeah, two thousand. Yeah, Tenenbaums came out in two thousand one as well. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. So he'd already made Rushmore, and yeah, just around that time. But it's also like just on the cusp of. I mean, nineteen ninety nine was a huge year of movies. Like Matrix came out, Fight Club. Right. So it's like movies are kind of changing and turning, and, and they had like these, like the indie. The, the indie stuff of the early 90s mm-hmm. is kind of like on its way, not necessarily out, but it's like, but, and then like the new Star Wars movies are just, the prequels are just coming in. So it's like, it's on this kind of curve where there's these interesting little art films that are made with a budget mm-hmm. in the middle of all of this. It was kind of like in this weird period where we were still getting a little bit of everything. Yeah, it does feel really high budget for what it is, Mm -hmm. right? Which is basically like a pretty simple little love story. Yeah, but it's like done on this kind of epic fairy fairy tale kind of scope. Yeah. And that's kind of how I always saw it is like this fairy tale. Mm -hmm. 
um, where, but it's also got grounded moments. Like there's, and it's not, it's cutesy for sure. Yes. But it's also like, you know, when she's, her dad's not paying attention. She's like, I had an abortion and snorted crack. And it's like, she, it's, it takes place in the real world and it's not precious. It reminds me of Miranda July a little bit as well, in terms of like, Reading her novel, The First Bad Man, there were elements of it that were, that felt to me like a little bit self-consciously quirky, but it didn't affect the overall enjoyment of the book, you know, and like in the movie as well, having her neighbor, it's not like he's just, he's a recluse. It's like his bones are made of glass and everything in his apartment is padded and there's all these sort of like extra kind of flair to his um, agoraphobia or whatever, but it's, I think the movie pulls it off. I think that's, it's nice. And that's just it. It's like, it shouldn't work as well as it does. Yeah. It should kind of get under your skin and be a little too cute, but it, it, it what it does, what he, what uh, Jean Pierre, as you know, the filmmaker does, that I think makes it work, is that he's constantly undercutting it. Like he's mm. using other characters to like either make fun of, not make fun of the other characters, but at least take a, a, a swing at, at how cute they're being. Yes. Totally. Um, and there's also this like interesting vibe of, of that cutesy, but also this melancholy. Yeah. That he's part of. And that's what makes that's what makes him work the way he does and what what makes because after this movie there's a whole bunch of imitations of this movie. Right. Um, but they don't quite nail what he does so well, which is that weird tone that he rides between fantastical, precious, and and kind of dark. And it, do you think that's because he's French? I like don't. Know. I, I don't think you it, could make that. I don't think this movie would would have pulled it off if they were American speaking English with North American accents. I think so too. I mean, you've all, there's a movie that came out, I think like the year after called tell me you love me or something like that. That was a French movie that was basically trying to be an Amelie ripoff mm. and it was, and I didn't hate it, but it didn't quite work. 500 days of summer also clearly owes a fairly big debt of gratitude to this movie. And that movie, when you watch it back is cloying. I really liked it at the time Yeah, same. when it came out, but watching it back, it's, it's, Cloying. It's not as it's not as charming, and maybe that's just because I don't speak French very well. You know, like I wonder if French audiences are a bit like, oh, I get it. Well, I think also the problem with with Five Hundred Days of Summer is that she's kind of mean. Yeah, she is mean. That's true. Amelie you know? is very pure. Well, and what's and that's and this is kind of this. I mean, what's unique about Amelie is that the two lovers never meet until the final moment. Yeah. And they never ever speak to each other outside of like those little moments on the phone mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff there. It's so, I mean, who knows what happens to them a week later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did wonder about that as well. You know, it, it is, it is also doing that you yeah. know, kind of thing where it's just like you're, the height of the movie is them first meeting for the first time. And, you know, so the fairy tale could end very quickly. But, right. But that's kind of the whole point. I think it's Well, that's po- what the lady at the porn shop says, right? His girlfriends don't. Stick last. around. Doesn't last. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I really I really enjoyed it. I'll, although I also kept thinking about that article about Manic Pixie Dream Girls, because she must have been one of the earliest. Yeah, but... Uh, I mean, I don't think that she fits th- this because she's the lead. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, it's not usually... That's, that's usually the supporting or love interest. Yeah, I feel like, you know, a bunch of dudes... 
screenwriters watched Amelie and were like, imagine if she was the girlfriend character yeah. oh, for, for my sure. screenplay. I think she was definitely, she's definitely an inspiration. And you can see like a version of her in other things where she's just going around doing quirky things. Yes. And fixing yeah. people's lives. But because that's the main focus of the movie. Yeah. No, it's really interesting. Um, it's, uh, it's hard to say. Uh, but it's also, and it's it's hard to say because it's like because you, you you could also look at it and it's like does it pass um, the Bechdel test? Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, I don't know if it does, but also it's a movie about love and relationships, so why should it? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't feel to me super like the relationship is barely even the main story of it. Really, her relationship to the world is kind of the story, and. It seems like being able to finally talk to, or not even speak to, actually, just, like, be with um, the love interest character, you're understanding this, like, larger project of her mm-hmm. kind of opening herself up to really a relationship with other people in general. Yeah, and, and what's really, and I think really, really works that I feel like anyone making a film like this today would maybe cut out, which would be a shame, is that first 10 minutes mm. where you're just getting the backstory of her parents and her. But it really does construct, you know, a lot of that stuff later on, like why she's so shy and why you buy all these little quirks and things she has. Yeah. You know, because her father her father thought that she had a heart condition because he never touched her when he, did, when he gave her like a monthly exam. Yeah. She got really excited and he thought <laughs> he had a heart condition, so she didn't go to school. She wasn't socialized. I thought that was a good trick. Watching it happen, I was like, oh, this is so smart because instead of having to find clever ways to eke this information out in the dialogue later, we just have all that information off the top, it's like when you go to tell someone an anecdote and you're like, okay, the main thing you need to know about this person is that she's very easily frightened. And then you tell the story about a time that she got really scared, but the the person you're telling it to has all the information off the top. It's, yeah. it's really smart. I'm going to steal it. And it's done well in a way that feels charming and doesn't feel over. Totally. And, but even the narrator is, he doesn't isn't used throughout very much, but there's little moments like, I think the narrator comes back up in the middle after she gets the notebook and he's like, a normal person would just return it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's not normal. Yeah. I know because it's almost, it's almost like movie audience. We know what you're thinking. Why doesn't she just give it back to the guy? It's yeah. like, because there wouldn't be a story and it wouldn't be Amelie. She just, she's too nervous. Right. You know, she can't even admit when she tells the guy, come meet at the cafe. Yeah. She can't even admit that, that it's her in that moment. You know? So what about this movie made you go see it eight times in theaters? I don't know. You know what it was? It was just, I think it's like I was in my first year of film school and I was... There it is. <laughs> probably. Absolutely. And I was just, and what it was, what, what, what I got out of film school more than anything was, you know, meeting this group of friends who all had this different, these different interests and learning about different films and filmmakers. Like, I think like that year was just like this year of discovery for me as like... I learned about David Lynch for the first time. And uh, and so we would do these marathon weekends where we stayed at each other's houses um, either like during school or in the summer we'd meet up and everyone had to bring, you know, four or five movies and we would just marathon movies and we'd go from like Eraserhead <laughs> to um, Slacker to just like right. whatever, you know, and, and just, just ingesting stuff nonstop. And so this came out in theaters, uh, I think, like in the spring of my first year or the winter, sometimes in the first year. 
And I remember just watching it because I was really trying to get into just... I was just trying to watch everything at that point. And especially everything that wasn't just mainstream. Although this became mainstream. Yeah. Um, and I remember just sitting there going, I've never seen anything like this. Mm-hmm. You know? Or at least packaged in this way. And I just loved like the storytelling techniques. I loved that it was beautiful and cute but not pretentious. Or, or felt like... Like, all the stuff I'd already mentioned. And so... And it was the kind of thing where every time someone mentioned they hadn't seen it yet, it wasn't like I could be like, oh, watch... Here's the DVD or the VHS. Right. You know? So I um, I would drag them to go see it. I'd be like, go see I'll take you to go see it. <laughs> it was the kind of thing, because especially if people were like, I don't know if I want to watch a French movie. Mm. I was like, I'll pay for your ticket. Oh, my God. And I didn't always do that, but but I think I saw it eight times. Wow. Because I just really, really enjoyed it. And, I, of course, I made my own short film that was completely ripping this <laughs> off. Well, that's what you got to do in school, I think. And then realize, I'm like, oh, that's not really my thing. Although I watch it now and I'm like, ugh, I'm so... But I can. I think now, like back then, I, I watched something that I loved and wanted to just rip it off and want to do my version of it. Yeah. Where now I just go, no, I can appreciate that as its own thing. Right. And that's not what I do. But, uh, but man, do I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was crazy how charming it was. I was really surprised that I uh, it held up as well as it did for me because I, I you know how it is when you because the movie is almost twenty years old now, right? You know, it's just a uh, it's just shy of twenty years, and it's the kind of it takes place in ninety seven, I guess, because of Lady D. Yeah, Lady D. Di- yeah, it's ninety eight. Did she die? Ninety seven. I think she died in. Yeah, I was really not expecting that to be such a part of it. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's the linchpin because it's a, it's, it just makes her drop her thing, which makes yeah, her yeah. towel go loose. But then it's brought up through the uh, the sh- assistant shopkeeper. He has the obsession with it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just this little thing. I love like, it. Just all these little moments that, and you could probably remove half of them if you wanted to for for length. But it never like it should. It's a movie that should feel kind of repetitious. And over long because the the story is so small mm-hmm. and simple, and it's really just a lot of these vignettes of her either messing with the shopkeeper or the letter to the neighbor's letters, um, and that's the only one that bugs me a little bit. I don't know how you felt the about letters it. one. Well, because it was the kind of thing where I'm like, her husband was shit. Like, yeah, and and so I, it's there's two sides of it. The one side is like. She's obsessed with him anyway. She's probably going to be obsessed with him for life. She might as well have a better, yes. a positive feeling about it. But it is more it. morally ambiguous than some of the other ones. Yeah, that, yeah. One's, that one's a bit rides the line where all the other stuff is just kind of nice. Yeah. You know, she punishes the shopkeeper for, for treating him terribly. Yeah. She, uh, you know, shows the glass man a different way of looking at life like all those video clips i think are designed to be like look at the world differently mm-hmm. you know this is you're not it's all images of things that are kind of unexpected like the like the african lady african-american lady i assume playing rock guitar in front of a yeah. gospel the guy with the the leg the um splint on his leg whatever no, he's got like a fake leg mm-hmm. and then he starts tap dancing yeah and the middle thing goes back to walking all those kind of things is like oh it's not an expected thing. I feel like um, 
I'm not a huge film buff, and every time I go to watch a movie with someone, especially a movie that's like a big lauded movie, and especially a movie that's won awards, I'm like, you have to tell me right now if this movie is going to be about the power of movies, because then I'm not, I don't want to watch that. I think that's corny. Every movie is about the power, like even um, I saw Inglorious Bastards for the first time the other day, and I was like, I thought this was a Nazi movie. This is a movie about the power of cinema. Like, oh, yeah, for every sure. movie is about the power of movies that hugo movie like they're all that and this movie doesn't really escape that either right like everyone is i mean they start with her at the theater and she likes to watch the other people and the way they're affected by it and then she takes this footage and she uses the the footage to transform his life and it's like everyone's watching each other in this very cinematic photographic way kind of surveilling each other and taking images and showing each other images and changing each other's life through that kind of stuff and I was like god damn it they've done it again. Yeah, I guess a little bit. This was this is less so than Glorious Bastards. Certainly for less sure. on the nose than that movies could have killed Hitler for us. Yeah. Um. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but yeah, they are using that VHS the video camera is used in an interesting way. Uh, at least here it feels like it's grounded in, in real life more than, than that. Sure, yeah. And not such a grandiose burning down the theater and literally, <laughs> literally using cinema to destroy Hitler. Yeah, insane. Really insane. But yeah, most movies end up, I feel like there's a thing where they we end up back... I mean, and books are the same way, right? Like, books are always going on about the power of literature. I'm sure if you're an artist and you're steeped in your medium, you want to believe in its its power, its ability to change people's lives or the the wider culture that it's a part of so i get it i get the impulse but because i'm not so steeped in film culture i'm always like oh yeah i've never thought i guess that's so true but i've never thought about that i think in some things it's obvious like you look at like you know la la land yeah and, and the artist and stuff like that where it's just like it's really really obvious that you're just like hollywood's making a movie for itself and these are all the ones that love. win the big awards yeah Everyone's like, we are important. <laughs> Give it an award. Yeah. <laughs> it reminded us how great we are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It used to be like if you made, um, if you made like the, the, the Holocaust movie, you were like a shoe in. But now it's like, no, make a movie just about self and grande wasing art. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and you're sure to get some nominations at the very least. Yeah. <laughs> Hilarious. Um, so what are your, some of your kind of favorite movies then? Um, I'm pretty, I pretty stick very, pretty aggressively to the rom-com genre to be honest like the the big great like rom-coms of the 90s and and I guess early 80s or 70s like um you know some of Woody Allen's stuff unfortunately but I'm watching less of him these days Mm -hmm. um and then thankfully my less problematic slash as far as I can tell totally fine fave Nora Ephron um I love, like, yeah, and even getting into the 90s, like, Clueless, and um, there was a period in my teens where I was really obsessed with adaptations of, like, because I, I read a lot. I was, like, more of a book nerd than a film nerd. So movie adaptations where they'd modernize, like, Clueless is Emma, yep. right, by Jane Austen, and 10, Ten Things, Things I Hate About, about you. you. Yeah! It's so good. That was my favorite movie for so long. It's so good. Heath Ledger was amazing in that He's movie. He's so charming, it's yeah, that movie's great. Um, and it made and it made you for some reason really like her. What's her name? Um, Julia Stiles. Yeah, who I've found like in everything else is just kind of pretty flat. Yeah, I think they harnessed that really well. They worked well in that movie, but not 
in anything. Well, sense. she's playing a shrew, right? Yeah, it's true. <laughs> so she's playing with like the most unlikable person. But they were in so high hard school. to it, but it still worked. But yeah. In the end, like you still bought those two together, and you wanted them to get together. Where now she just plays. I mean, she doesn't have she, her career never really blasted. Yeah. Um. I think she's doing TV stuff now. She's, she's just, doing fine. Julia yeah. Stiles pays the rent. If you're listening, Julia Stiles, there's I don't of- dislike just uh, Julia Stiles, but I remember watching that movie and just kind of falling in love with her. Yeah, and just expecting her career to be different. Yeah, or, or just or wanting to be like to be able to like carry that love I had for her in that movie over to the next thing, and then just being kind of surprised at like, oh, I don't really connect to you the way I did in that movie. Yeah, she's amazing. The, the casting in that movie is really good. Um, it's a, it's a oh, it's movie. yeah. If you go back, like Joseph Gordon-Levin's in that movie. Yeah, the guy who started that actor sex cult is in that movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, Alex Mack is the sister, the younger sister. Do you remember the show Alex Mack? No, it was like a teen show, and um, she was the star of it, and she could transform into like a Capri Sun goo kind of thing. I do not remember her. It was a weird one. And then there's also uh, one of my favorite, who his name is escaping me, so I'm going to cheat and look it up. Um, yeah, David Krumholtz. Uh, what's Allison Janie? I forgot Allison Janie was in it. Jesus. Oh yeah, the of course the uh, guidance counselor with the erotic novel. Yeah. Um, it's escaping me, and her name is. Why is her name so far down this list? I'm to be the way you rank people sometimes blows my mind. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> Maybe I'm thinking of a different movie. No, I'm thinking of Mean Girls. I'm the person. I'm oh, thinking Mean of Girls is, is mean amazing Girls. as well. Yeah, it's too bad. There's um, we have a, a place out in Kitchener, and so there's this um, a single screen movie house called the Apollo Cinema, and they're doing a 15th anniversary Mean Girls screening. Oh right. It's like fuck. I would love to go to that and see that in the big screen again. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's another movie where I saw it in the big screen and just walked there going. It was so good. Well, I can't make a high school movie now because <laughs> how am I going to beat that? That movie was one of the first ones, too, now that I think about it. And again, my like breadth of uh, reference is pretty low. But like with the teen movies that I was watching, I really liked the ones that were based on stories that weren't initially written about like modern teens because I found so many of the movies like proper teen movies like She's All That and stuff all centered around the same kind of story of like a glasses person gets a makeover and then the football guy likes them whereas oh there were so many of those Clueless and 10 Things I Hate About You being based on these older stories had kind of more complex and interesting female characters than what like 90s teen movies were imagining for their female leads yeah but then Mean Girls flipped it totally you know in the Early 2000s or whenever that was. Late, mid-2000s? I think it was like 2004 or something. Yeah, I was like in high school when it came out. And it was also a lot of... I went to an arts high school and a lot of like the... They filmed in Toronto and a lot of the like day players in it were from our high school. So our high school got very obsessed with it. I bet. Yeah. Hilarious. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I I did... um, Of course, I was... When uh, 10 Days Ahead of You came out, I actually... Because that came out... When I was in high school, that would have been late nineties. Uh, I took a Shakespeare play and tried to make write a teen movie. Oh no way! And what did what? Which one was it? it I ended up calling it um, "Throwing Stones." <laughs> I'm sure it's terrible. I'd love to see if I could find a copy of it. And it was based on Coriolanus, <laughs> not Coriolanus. Um, 
Oh God! What are some of the what are some of the as comedies? you like it? It wasn't as you like it. It was Twelfth um. Night. No, God um, damn it! it all's well that ends well. It was well. one with Hero. I should know that, but and she pretends she dies. The Winters too? No, no, no! It was a comedy for sure. Hero was the um, and Kenneth Bronner made a version of it too. Two Gentlemen of Verona? No, no. Emma Thompson was in the, the film version. Now it's driving me nuts. The Merry Wives of Windsor? No. I'm just constantly I'm just checking out my plays phone. Now. That's okay. You're doing well. Uh, Much Ado About Nothing. Much Ado About Nothing. Is I did like a, an adaptation of Much Ado About Nothing. No way. Also in school? Or later? Oh, I wrote it when I was in high school. Oh, right. Uh, I'm sure it was not good. Although I'm, sh- I bet the story structure was great because right. I, I just lifted it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's one of those things where I, I don't know how you feel as a writer, where if it's like when you go back and read something that you, because I, I assume you've been writing most of your life. Like, when did you start writing? Uh, just pretty for- early. When I was ten, I read like the first. 400, not even probably, pages of The Count of Monte Cristo, and then didn't read the rest of it and wrote a play based on what I assumed would happen in the rest of the book. And then my whole grade five class performed it. Um, So I was always doing kind of embarrassing shit like that. And I think from a pretty young age. Have you ever gone back to read the ending? I've, I ended up reading the ending that year. It was just a really long book. It took me like yeah. a year. It's a thousand pages long. So it was it took faster me, for you to write your own ending. Yeah. Um, and I imagined a much happier ending <laughs> than they ended up with. Like in the end of mine, he was reunited with like Mercedes, his lost love and um, all this other stuff. In the actual thing, he comes back and like psychologically tortures the people who harmed him into like committing suicide. Most of them kill themselves. And then he runs off with his um, uh, totally mute, uh, like, 19-year-old servant woman. Yeah. Um, so different. I didn't quite get there. So you wrote, like, a fan fiction ver- yeah. version of the ending, but then had everyone perform it. Yeah. Bless you. I mean, I didn't plan to have everyone perform it. I think I, like, I'm sure I showed my, I was an insufferable nerd, so I'm sure I, like, showed my teacher it. And then she was like, all right, let's do this. And That's then so cool. we got out of a lot of other class stuff that we didn't want to do to rehearse this version of The Count of Monte Cristo. I had a teacher like that, too. I wrote school plays that we performed. Yeah, no way. Yeah. Yeah. So it was fun. Yeah, it's really funny how early people who tend to work in film and TV knew that they wanted to do something or showed interest in that kind of thing. Yeah, I would. we did, like, I was in, like, I didn't... I grew up in a small town, so we didn't have the luxury of an art school, but we had a pretty good art program in our school, and our drama program was amazing. Oh, amazing. We had this amazing drama teacher named Donna McEachern, who was like everyone's mom. Oh. You know? And I lost my mom when I was a teenager, so she literally was my second oh, mom. Oh, wow. You know? And just like the way she just kind of inspired people, even if they weren't like necessarily artsy people, like that drama room was, it was in the basement of the school. Um, and it was just kind of like the island of misfit toys <laughs> and just a safe place that you could be and hang out and do your thing. That's so nice. That, uh, they, yeah, it was like a lifeline for so many kids in, in our school. Um, and then we got to do some cool stuff. And then, so, and that really encouraged me. And I think just like having an adult at that point in my life, read something I'd done 
and then go, oh, this is good enough. Let's try it. Yeah. And just like encourage you that way. I, I just, it really, really just inspired me. And then every summer I took like a bunch of kids that wanted to and we do a play every summer. No way. It's like, like, it's just something fun to do over the summer. Sure. And perform like, do, you know, three, you spend all summer and then do three performances yeah. at like a community, at a shitty community hall. It <laughs> is not designed to do theater in. We're using like fucking Christmas lights and flood, like, you know, the shitty Christmas floodlights. Yeah, like, yeah. Those were our lights. Nice. Yeah. Still, at least you had lights. And shit like that. <laughs> yeah. But that's also the kind of thing where you just, you've got to stumble in. Uh, but have you ever gone back to reread any of your old old stuff from like that time? Yeah. And? <laughs> I mean, it's nuts. I wish, I always think like I wish that I still had whatever it was that I had when I was 10 that made me like, or like you were talking about seeing this movie for the first time and, and writing a short film that kind of aped it. Like I don't so much these days if I finish, maybe that's not true. But I don't have, I guess, the follow through. Like, I can't believe that I read a book that I enjoyed. And then I was like, I'm going to write a play of this. And no one was asking me to do it. Like, these days I I have a hard time doing things without a deadline. Mm. And I'm jealous of my little weird 10-year-old self who was just like, I'm going to see if this is interesting to me to make into another thing. Um, And I I would like to, um, even though a lot of the stuff that I've read that I wrote back then was just bananas there's like a sincerity to the effort that i'm jealous of but also like uh, embarrassed by still to look at you know yeah and there's some stuff i read and i'm like Ugh. but there's some, every now and then there's like little not that i go back and look at it very often ever but it's i've there's sometimes every now and then it's like a little weird insight and window into your former self and it's like oh this is where my brain was at yeah yeah totally whether it's good or not you're just like huh those are the kind of things i was thinking about that's dark oh when i was famously i think we were moving or something and my friends were over and they found a short story i wrote when i was like eight about like a secret spy school but you could only go there if you were really uncool (laughs) at regular school (laughs) it was like just the saddest thing because I was really uncool obviously Um, and the whole rule of the school was like you had to be kind of a geek and you couldn't be popular at school because those were like actually the smartest kids who made the best spies and I was reading and I was like oh oh, you poor little thing you should turn that into a movie now it's so sad but there's something amazing about that idea that it's like they take these people that society just kind of doesn't pay attention to absolutely and those are the people that actually make the best spies because people aren't paying attention to them yeah amy schumer has a good sketch about that where she plays an not even an undercover cop it's like She's just a neutral-looking woman in California, so she can blend in anywhere because no one notices her, is, yeah. this, is the sketch. And it's really, really funny. Um, That's but, hilarious. But yeah, it's crazy how much of yourself you're comfortable revealing at that age. Oh, I know. I went through this this terrible breakup at the end of high school, and at the same time was into Chuck Palahniuk. Oh, boy. And so I found this... I wrote a novel. Yep. That is, it was just me aping Chuck Palahniuk style, but about like heartbreak. Oof. And I was like, that's a weird combination. Yeah. Because he doesn't get into romantic stuff, really. No. And uh, and it's not good. Right. But it's interesting. Yeah. I yeah. was working some shit out. Yeah. I and sent some crazy emails while I was reading that book, I Love Dick. Which yep. is all about like sending reckless letters and faxes and stuff. And I, I had to go delete all the emails that I sent during that period. They were so weird. Hilarious. It's so weird because I think it's also like, 
there's a great thing with the weirdness because I think it was at that point where I'm still trying to figure out what my voice is, mm. you know? So it was like, I was, I had all these weird influences and I always like, what I get really interested in these days, and I've talked about this before, but is that idea is like, when I look at the people that I really, really look up to as writers or filmmakers or whatever, and then I start to dig into what inspired them and you start to see like the weird branches. Cause you mentioned Woody Allen. So he is like, you know, Bergman and the Marx Brothers. Mm-hmm. And those two things shouldn't go together. Right. But when they do, you get someone like Woody Allen. Yeah. And so, like, at that point in my life, I was really into, uh, like, Chuck Palahniuk and Woody Allen. And, you know, stuff like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Amelie. And so it was just like, I had these weird... And rom-coms. And things that just don't go together. Right. Um, and so I think that's when you get people that have these interesting little voices that shouldn't work. And... And you watch people's work, and it's like, how do you create that person? Right. And it's like, oh, you give them really weird, diverse, uh, you know, inspirations, and just let them go within their own, play off their own experiences. Yeah, totally. You should totally do something with that, that <laughs> like shy spy. Oh my god, shy! Oh, sorry, kicked the mic. Oh god, shy spy. Yeah. Oh, so embarrassing. I think it was called. Yes, I'm. I know exactly what it was called. The Umbrella Academy. No. <laughs> <laughs> Worse. Uh, also because this is like one of those things where you're like, oh, clearly this is like a child being like, okay, so it's a school for spies. Obviously, it's called the James Bond School for Girls. The James Bond School for Girls. What is that? Not even Jane Bond. Nope, James. <laughs> the James Bond School for Girls. Beautiful. Gorgeous. That's... Mm. But you know what it is right away. But... <laughs> But it could only be g- girls. Yeah, it's only girls. I wasn't interested, I don't think, in, in bullied boys. The that's boys fair. all seem like they were having a pretty chill time of it. Yeah, that's fair. And bullying around, like, age 10 for girls is, like, heavy duty. But didn't you find um, that it's, like, the, the girls, bu- there was more infighting in the girls amongst themselves? Yeah. Uh, yeah, the boys were pretty separate. Right. They were their own thing, and they seemed to solve stuff by, like, kind of shoving each other. Whereas I think girls would launch these kind of like multi-week campaigns. Oh, long-standing. Oh, so yeah. I understand. I know what you mean. Because at first I thought you meant it's like separate the girls from the boys. Because it's like... Oh, I, no, no, no. Not like that. I just was very immersed in girl drama. Yeah. 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 My, I have a seven-year-old daughter and there's already girl drama. Oh, yeah. Seven-year-old gr- girls between like seven and 17. Sorry, it's so long, but they're crazy in there. I know. It's just they're... <laughs> bonkers that just like the the swings and the dynamics and my wife and I look at each other and it's like it's not gonna get better no it's gonna get much worse before it gets better yeah. speaking as someone who was a full terror for all I would say all of high school sorry mom um eventually they figure it out and then they like you know write internet articles about how grateful they are to have you <laughs> and you know what it is it's funny like for me I'm just like my kids are like weird and awesome. And for me, I'm just like, I want them to just get through these next 10 years of their lives mm-hmm. intact so they and, and hold on to those weird, awesome parts of themselves. Yeah. That I see them starting to drift away as they make friends and realize that it's like, oh, regular people don't do this kind of thing. <laughs> I'm going to stop doing this thing I did that makes me unique. And just like, so I'm just hoping that as they get chewed up by like... <laughs> Just whatever the fuck is going on in the world and the way teens act to each other and just the self-consciousness they feel, 
like I'm hoping they were able to retain like this individuality that I've seen from them since they were like so little. But some adapting to the world is nice, right? Oh, hundred percent. Because then you end up like with an Amelie type figure (laughs) who's like, I'm defined by all of my quirky interests. And I feel like her love interest, the Nico guy is a little more, they're kind of two sides of the same coin. Yeah. He's a little bit more realistic about the world and slightly better adjusted. But it's also, but I think he also, like, they, they, they draw a couple comparisons throughout the movie where it's like they show them both as child, like, flashing the lights. Yeah, they and, want the same things totally, but you get the sense that he had, well, he had, that was the thing, right? She didn't have friends and he had more friends, quote, than he could handle. So he was getting kind of beat down by the world, but she never really experienced it at all. Yeah, she was pushed away from it and he was, yeah, that's interesting. And so it's like, so you would hope that they kind of complete each other mm-hmm. in a way because it's, you never want two people that are the same. No. You know, but they have, you know, they have similar things like the mom and the dad. They also, when they're doing the the little lists of all the things they dislike and like, there's just that one shared thing. He likes to clean out his toolbox and yeah. go back and she likes to do that with her purse. Mm-hmm. It's a bit gender stereotyped, but, <laughs> uh, but I did. It was the 90s. <laughs> yeah. But I appreciated the fact that it's like, it wasn't like everything they did and hated was the same. Yeah. It was just like one little thing. And they probably didn't even know the other one did that. Yeah. Because it was like their own private thing they did. I think that's why it succeeds with the quirkiness because they give all of the characters quirks because that's much more true to real life. Like it reminded me of reading Mrs. Dalloway Mm -hmm. almost where so much is happening all at once and you remember that the even the character the book is named after is just one person on this day where everything is happening to everyone And the movie, by, like, bookending it with those kind of big, you know, panoramas across the city and everyone's little moments and stories, made it so that Amelie isn't this, like, oh, I'm so specific and odd and everyone around me is just kind of painted with one brush. It's a, you know, everyone does have weird little quirks or likes a certain part of the chicken or whatever it is. Um, And and that's what I loved about this, too, that when I was watching, and I totally stole that for the short film I made. (laughs) Um, That kind of thing, because I love just, like... The, the one dad's one one where it's like peeling off a long strip of of um, wallpaper. wallpaper. Like, oh, I like, could feel how satisfying. Yeah, that's just it. Like I'm like if I can like peel a kiwi in one <laughs> stroke, I'm like man, am I proud of myself? <laughs> you know, and just like the way like her hands and the seeds, like, just like texture things. Yeah, that they're all like I love that they're all grounded in real world things, like just simple pleasures mm-hmm. that are kind of private. Yeah, that's true. Actually, that people don't really don't talk about. Yeah. And, like, not liking when someone comes in to pee beside you in the restroom. No one likes that. No one likes that. There should just... Bathroom should just be one room with a door that goes all the way to the ground. Yeah. And oh, there's I, no gender, and it's just one bathroom. I go stall all the way. My son's just like, why? I'm like, because I, I can't. I just can't. <laughs> if I'm standing there and someone comes up beside me, I'm, I have to pretend I finish. Right. And then I gotta go out. That's a very weird thing that they make men do just pee next to each other in london there's all of these public urinals in parks and i guess they had problems with men just drunk men just peeing wherever they wanted so they set these up but like they have them there are places and so everyone who's peeing is not only peeing into the same center they're all facing each other as well so like it's an x and there's like one wherever there's a space left by the x is a urinal so everyone's facing into a center point it's very weird. I can't do it. And also just peeing in like a, you know, in like Salisbury Square or something. That's, 
I haven't. I have not seen that. I've been. I haven't been to England in a while, but uh, I have not seen that. But I remember like, it's weird. Like I don't think I've ever been comfortable at urinals. But I remember like I had this weird thing with my best friend in high school, where at the end of the day, every day, he and I would meet in the same bathroom and pee and poop beside each other. Okay. Like in separate stalls. Sure. And just have like a catch up. Sure. But we were we were on, and I don't know if it was the kind of thing where it's like. One day, one of us had to go into the wind didn't, but we all just showed up and we and we knew that we'd both sit in beside neighboring stalls. Huh. But we, uh, either, we either we were on the same fiber schedule, <laughs> or uh, or we, it was that was just our thing. Huh. I'd like to think there were some days neither of us actually had to go, <laughs> but we pretended, and that was just our meeting place. Sure. Okay. So not totally toilet shy. There's just a lot going on here in this area for you. Yeah, but I also but now I have kids like they just burst in oh and i'm God. like no, no 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 i want privacy that's right not now. my preference no this is why i have my own ensuite bathroom right so because it's mine yeah and whenever i go upstairs and i come in because they, they for some reason they decided that's their favorite bathroom in the house too oh you just want to be where you're not supposed to be it's forbidden fruit yeah, yeah. and so when i as i'm like oh it's like i want to go to the bathroom they're like well i'm in here it's like this is my bathroom <laughs> I'm not saying that it has to be like the golden toilet that's always off limits for everyone but me, <laughs> but it's like you guys anyway. Right. Here we are talking about Amelie. Stuff. <laughs> Amelie. I like how it led to that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What else? What else? You wrote down. You. I was so impressed. I think you're the first person that's taking notes. Oh, my problem is that I'll say it all out loud. So my worst confession that everyone hates about me is that I talk during movies really badly. We're allowed to talk during movies during the podcast. I don't mind it. <laughs> I'm a really bad movie talker, and especially with someone who I've never watched a movie with before, I have developed a system of either getting a little bit stoned so that I'm um, my brain slows down and I have to focus really hard on the movie to follow it, and then I don't ask as many questions because I'm just really concentrating, or uh, writing stuff down that I think so that I can talk about it later. It's pretty nothing. Um, I really do think that haircut was like the Rachel, but for like indie scene girls in yep. 2004. 100%. Like little bangs. Like I mean, I had so many different experiments with a short version. Not the length of the hair, but the length of the bangs. I tried so many times. Well, and it feathers out too. It has that. Yeah, the little, yeah. That specific haircut, I think, was a very specific, like it was the personality of the person wearing it. For yeah. years. She's got such an interesting vibe and look. Like She's got this classic Hollywood look to her mm-hmm. that like, reminds me. I'm trying to, and I'm trying to think of who she reminds me of from like the old, like the 50s and the 60s. Audrey Hepburn. It's got to be. A little bit of Audrey Hepburn, but there's more. It's not just her. It's just her. You know what it is? It's like, it's almost like there's an amalgam of a couple different people and I can't quite figure out what parts are which, but there's definitely some Audrey Hepburn in there. Or like Jean Sebert, Jean Sebert, the one from the one from um, Cleo Nine to Five. Yeah, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, there's a whole bunch, and she's just and it's interesting because she again, like she didn't. I mean, I, I didn't really keep up with her because she didn't really do a ton outside of France. Mm. She did one movie. Um, oh, who was it? Was it a, 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 a Stephen Furrier's movie, I think? Um, a couple years after this, when this movie came out, was a hit. But then I think she's just mostly done uh, French cinema. 
Right. Uh, but they made another movie together just after this, her and Jean-Pierre Junot, called A Very Long Engagement. Oh, yeah. I highly recommend I th- it. I feel like I've seen that, but that doesn't make sense. It's a World War II movie. And it's um, it's a different kind of love story, mm-hmm. and it's darker in in a, in a way, and equally heartbreaking and beautiful, but very very different. And uh, and I still like this movie more, but I remember that movie came out I don't know, two years after, and of course I'd memorized this movie by that point, right? So of course I was gonna light Ready. up and see yeah. everything else. If you want to see, but then he made a movie after that called Micmax, which I didn't like. Okay. And uh, Delicatessen, which he made before Amelie, is just kind of bonkers. But I know that was the movie that everyone just really, really loved because it's got this... That one is even more... You look at that and you can see, like, probably what his his influences of, like, I assume someone like Tim Burton mm. and uh, maybe even... Uh, I'm trying... Just very, very big and very over the top with the visuals and all that kind of stuff. Where Amelie, by contrast, is a bit more grounded and toned down. Okay. Surprisingly. Right. If you compare it to Delicatessen, because Delicatessen just feels like almost like an animated film, but with people. Right. Um, and there's, and he, what's neat too is like if you watch enough of his movies, he's got almost an ensemble of actors that there, he uses person in a bit part here and right. and a bigger part in this movie and so it's fun to to watch this little family he's kind of built around his his projects. <laughs> that is nice. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else? What else did I think about it? What did I say? I'm um, glad you liked it. I really liked it. Yeah, I was expecting to find it a bit twee, and then it was just twee enough. It yeah. was lovely. Yeah, it was a really. It was really charming. And again, I wonder if that's partly the French thing, because it also made me like really want to go back to Paris. And I've been to Paris a number of times, and Paris smells like pee, and everyone's a bit rude. And like a lot of negative stereotypes of Paris are true, um, in addition to all of the sort of beautiful accordion music ones they kind of show off in this movie. So I wonder if I'm a little bit under the spell of the like Frenchiness of it and the like you know, European short, short hair dream life that oh, sure. I imagine when I yeah. watch it. I've never been to Paris, so uh, it's on my list. It's, it is beautiful, but they made the subway look nice, and the subway is grody. Oh, that's, that's any city that <laughs> yeah, was Yeah, it's got a nice subway, come yeah, on. Yeah, this is the storybook version Yeah, of, it was lovely. Um, it's funny, because she sort of functions like, thinking about Manic Pixie Dream Girls, she kind of functions more as like an actual pixie, like kind of... You know, like she's literally getting into people's homes and messing with their stuff. Like she performs a f- number of breaking entries. Yeah, yeah, that's a very. That, I feel like that's a running theme. Is like beautiful women breaking into people's homes. Like that's basically all Killing Eve is. Yeah, and it's, you can get and they, she can get away with it. Yeah, because she's <laughs> they're cute. so charmed to find her in their house. <laughs> yeah, I what, I think my favorite one. My one of my I, I love I I love all of, like the little side adventures she gets onto. But the one that was so delightful for me the first time I saw it, I think, was the garden gnome with her dad. Yeah. Because they don't reveal... Because so many of the other ones, they set them up. And then you get to see what she was doing after. Mm-hmm. Like with the letters, with uh, the the grocer. Like you see, and then you see the payoff after. But that one's where you see the payoff, and then you reveal that it's like her friend was a stewardess or something. Oh, that's right. Because she watches the cat. 
Yeah. Yeah. So she's just, it's just like all of a sudden these pictures start showing up from all around the world. And you're also going, how is she doing that? Yeah, yeah. Like, is this, it lets you like almost, it's the one thing where it, it takes place from that character's point of view. That's really And funny. you're as bewildered as they are. Yeah. Going, well, we, we know she's not jet setting around the world. <laughs> uh, and so I really liked how it's revealed at the end that she just have a, has a friend that we've never met any other time. I'm, I, I allow that because it's just so We delightful. see her right at the beginning when she drops off the cat. Oh, right. They introduce all the characters at once. It's so funny that you didn't see that because I didn't put that together until you said it. But then I was like, oh, of course, from the beginning. And you're like, no, no, just from knowing. Jesus. Yeah. I've never... Oh, wow. Eight times in theaters, Jeremy. Eight times in theaters and at least another eight outside (laughs) of it. I I think I owned every version of media of this. I think VHS was still... No, I think this would have been... I had just gotten a DVD player that year. So this I would have got this on DVD, and I just recently found it on Blu-ray. Damn! And I, and I upgraded because I was like, I can't not, especially a movie like that. There's so many movies that I have on DVD that I'm like, I'm fine watching on DVD still. Yeah. Even though the blow up on my screen in here isn't. The picture was very good. Yeah, because it gets a little pixely, but for older movies, it kind of works. It's fine for me. Right. But for Amelie, I'm like, no, that's a movie you need to see crisp and clean and beautiful. It's yeah. Like, there's certain movies like that where I'm like, no, I need to watch it at its best quality. You gotta put your hands in the lentils of the movie. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. it's like in place and there's so many used movie stores. I think I found it for five bucks on Blu-ray. Right. It was hard for me to me to turn down. <laughs> uh yeah. Any anything that so this inspires you to steal the, the narrative structure of uh yeah, the, the I, reveals? Well, I like the idea of getting not having I'm always think trying to think of elegant ways to get all the information out in the dialogue, but it's interesting to think about getting that information out because I'm always so obsessed with trying to show stuff, right, rather than tell. Yeah. And they kind of just did both. And I think that's, and that's just it. It's like, because everyone just goes, you know, show, don't tell. But then also it's like there's so, there's so many bad versions of showing yeah. that feel like you're just telling me in a way that you might as well have just told me. And there's so many lovely and creative ways to, to tell. So that's really exciting. And just having a narrator in general... It's kind of interesting. I've never really done that before, but now I'm going to steal it. <laughs> yeah. I think I've tried playing with narrators. I don't think anything I've ever actually made I've used a narrator it's for. It's an easy thing to end up cutting, I guess. Well, and this, I mean, the beauty of a narrator is you can re, you can rewrite it up until the end of the <laughs> Based editing. on what you've got, yeah. Yeah, you can change it. It's, it's the, the one element, at, with the exception of like rewrites and just you know moving scenes in different orders. That you can really, really tweak and change and, and fine tune. So it gives you that that real power to change, do that, but also that that danger of like, oh, I could retweak this forever. Yeah, I, I think it's also nice to tell such a small story. I think to have a narrator go big and then have the movie go small is so nice. There's something really satisfying about it. Yeah, because it feels like a world. You know, because it, it, really it just takes place in her apartment, the cafe, and then just these little people. It's not, it's it's very small in scope, but it feels so big. Yeah. Because you've got these grand sweeping camera moves and these little choreographed things that are going on. And all these little, how did you feel about the, um, like kind of the fantastical elements? It reminded me, it's so interesting because it reminded me so much of, um, one of the movies I loved during this time of my life, Moulin Rouge, which 
is not something that I'd recommend rewatching particularly. Oh, I haven't seen it in a while, yeah, but whole, I love that movie too. I loved it, um, but the filming is again like when you're saying those big sweeping shots and like really bright colors, and if, but then just a few locations and Paris and Sacre Coeur and everything. Um, it's really similar, but it it does those. It takes that big approach and applies it to a really small, very you know instead of big dramatic feathery Moulin Rouge and the love story with death at the end. It's this little tiny, just the very beginning of a love story. It's so yeah. nice. What did you ask me? How did I feel? Oh, about? like the fantastical elements, oh. like stuff like just the, like the fantasy stuff. I wanted them to be more consistent a little bit. Mm. I felt like. I kept thinking there were going to be a few more of them. Yeah, some of them, and some of them feel random and weird. There's that one with the the blind guy. Yeah, like turning like, into fire because he had such a nice day. He has like an epiphany or, or some. Like, I don't know what it is. And then she melts into water. Like there are a couple. The rules of the fantastical elements aren't really clear to me. I didn't. I like the water one because I feel like that's just showing us how she feels emotionally. Yeah, like she's just melting away and. But that the. the fact of it happening to her physically is outside of all of the other fantastical elements that we've seen. Like, yeah. I just wanted there to be a bit more of a coherent, but maybe there don't need to be because it's supposed to be magic, so who cares? Yeah. But I wanted there to be, like, a, a more clear thing that they were doing with those a yeah. little bit. My favorite one is the one with um, Nico and the photograph. Yeah. Because it's... Because he doesn't really get any information from it. Yeah. But you, what you what it does really really well is he gives you an insight to what he's thinking about. Yeah. And where and where his mind might be going. And it shows that he and Amelie see the world in a similar way. Yeah. And that's really nice because you don't, as you said, we don't actually get to see a ton of, of their, um, interactions. And that, I think, is, like, another hallmark of that time period is so much of, like, the movies and the songs and the books that were popular then was about people meeting because of shared quirky interests. Yeah. Um, And I feel like that had a real impact on our high school. Like, everyone was trying to go around with, like, one shoelace being pink and one being black, to use an example from my own choices. What did, oh, that was yours. And I was just like, nothing. I was just like, I don't know. I guess I'm just really different. Notice me. You know what I mean? Like, I was just, like, really ready for someone to be like, your belt's a seatbelt, like, for a car, but you're wearing it on your body. And for me to be like, <laughs> and, like, Amelie away. It's true, though. That was the time in our lives where we were, like, it was what we defined probably so many of the relationships we had and the people we hung out with based on pop culture. Yeah. And what you were into in this. And this is because this is just, like... You know, internet's just coming into play. Totally. And so we're able to do more deep dives. And also, I think maybe it was more rare to find someone who had the same information or same, like, particular trivia interests as you. Um, whereas now, like, obviously you can find any fandom anywhere. But, like, that's the opening of 500 Days of Summer is that she can't, yeah. he can't believe that he's met a beautiful woman who likes the Smiths. The Smiths, yeah. Yeah. And that's why it's like, again, like, this is like, this is like my first year of film school. It was just a bunch of people that it's like, I was the biggest film nerd in my small town. Mm-hmm. And it was like meeting five other people like me that I'm like, oh, I haven't, I haven't been able to have these conversations with anybody ever. And what a amazing thing. And, and, but I'll also be able to like learn from them and give them, here's my stuff. Here's my nerdy stuff I've been yeah, watching. Yeah. And just sharing those kind of things. I, I don't know if that happens anymore either. 
Or it happens so quickly and so easily. That you don't appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, Patton Oswalt wrote this great article, uh, I can't remember the name of it, but just like nerd culture and how it's like when he was a nerd. Oh, about he, otaku or whatever, right? Yeah, just yeah. about how it's like you had to earn being a nerd because you had to really look it up and find it. You couldn't just, you know, go online and download the, the person's entire filmography mm-hmm. in, a, in an hour and watch it all. You had to like track down the next movie. And track down the next disc. Because I remember like just scouring eBay for uh, certain movies because they couldn't find a copy anywhere. Right. Yeah. The, and waiting for it to arrive. I guess that makes more sense then to base your connection on like pop culture and shared interest in paraphernalia and stuff when it was so much harder to access it. Because you, you really had to earn it. Because now it's like I think if people can't download or torrent something, they're like, oh, well, I'll move on to the next thing. I guess yeah. I'll never gonna watch that. Or, I, I spent five minutes looking for it, and it's not online. So, and conversely, if you meet someone or like this band's really important to me, they can be like interesting and look up the band and be like, oh, cool. You know, they can know what you're talking about pretty easily. It's not as it's not as rare. It's not like as yeah. much of an oasis in the desert to discover that someone else likes the same thing as you. But well, you just go on Spotify for music now. Yeah. But but the other day, the thing that I think we've lost is like our ability to have some kind of anticipation and patience because mm. we just want to write a way yeah and there's no build-up there's no wanting it to arrive there's no i found that even watching this movie i was like okay we get it you're shy like let's go you have to meet him <laughs> stop leading him around the city to different photo booths oh that relationship would never work in real life especially now are you kidding me no they get it's like they're because they're just playing mind games with each other the whole movie yeah where yeah. it's like we watch that and it's cute and romantic but nowadays that. I mean, I guess he goes like, on Tinder, swiping some lady into the peep show booth at the bottom of the porn store. But at the same time, it's like the the other porn store lady. She's like, "Oh, the girls don't last very long." Mm-hmm. But it's like it's maybe it's because those are the kind of relationship he's having with <laughs> someone like Amelie. She's making him work for it. Right. 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 There's some mystery. I think he even says it at some point to somebody like, "There's a mystery to her. There's something." Uh, yeah, I hope it works out for them <laughs> in the I world really of do. the film. Yeah, but it's also the kind of thing I'm like, I don't need to see their married life. <laughs> no, I did I did really like seeing her imagine him going out to get some. I thought that was really a nicely done scene, imagining, like, instead of imagining a wedding or something kind of, like, corny and huge, the, the small romance of someone going to get yeast because you're making a cake. Yeah, the plum cake, yeah. That's so sweet. Something really just like small and domestic and mundane. It's really nice. Yeah, and that's where I think, like, like I think we were talking about earlier about how all these, like, what makes it, what stops her from being just like the, this quirk fest mm-hmm. is that every, all their quirks are grounded in real life things. Yeah. And because when you think about the reason why you love someone, it's not because of that day that they did that grand sweep, sweeping romantic gesture. It's because they remembered to pick up that thing on the way home mm-hmm. or because when you know your water glass was empty they filled it up without even asking mm-hmm. and it's like those little things that people do for each other that you're like that's love because that's every day yeah it's like everyone can have like a moment every once in a blue moon where they do something overly romantic and buy flowers or that but it's like you know me walking up to my wife washing dishes and grabbing the drying towel and just starting to dry without being asked to mm-hmm. is like that's like that's the kind of shit that you know I think makes relationships work and and what keeps people together over time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, final thoughts. 
Um, liked the movie, still couldn't pull off the haircut. Yeah, that's okay. It's not your haircut. That's all right. I, I also cannot pull off that haircut. <laughs> they do do like a clip-in bangs option now, so something to think about. Okay. For your 9-3 watch. If I grow enough on the sides, I might be able to like swing it around. Beautiful. Yeah, or a toque. I'll just get a toque. Yeah, with a little fringe attached. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I can just attach it to the toque. You're right. Yeah, I don't even so need quirky. to. <laughs> That's doing my thing. Well, thanks for coming over. Thanks for having me. Let's all go to the lab. Thanks for joining us for Amelie. Black Hole Films is a proud member of the That Shelf Podcast Network. You can listen to other episodes of our show and other That Shelf podcasts on thatshelf.com. Please subscribe, leave comments, spread the word, do all the things that let others know you like the show and how they can check it out. You can find me on Twitter, at Lon Jeremy, and go to Facebook and join the group Black Hole Films. And until next time, go watch something you've never seen before. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.